Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. As you know, this podcast is called Pause, Purpose and Play. And very often we talk about pausing and finding ways to be more mindful in everyday life, to find moments where you can rest and find recovery and to connect with more what's meaningful to you, what feels purposeful and fulfilling, so that you can then find more joy and pleasure and playfulness in your life. So that's why I wanted to speak to someone who does a lot of work around play. So Susie Robbins will guide you through the importance of play for children as well as adults and how we can take the pressure off ourselves to be providing constant stimulation and doing playful games that we don't enjoy ourselves, but finding more kind of easy, quick wins in our everyday life, finding playful moments rather than getting too hooked up by content play, like building the next really massive play set or buying expensive wooden toys or setting something up that our child plays with for only a couple of minutes before they get bored. So if that is you, you know, a parent who's put a lot of pressure on themselves, especially in the past year, to provide childcare equivalent stimulation for your child, then this episode is for you. We will talk about very tangible, easy things you can do, and why it's so important for your child that you play and connect with them in a joyful, pleasurable way that serves both of you in a sustainable way. So let's introduce my guest. Susie Robbins is an advocate for play. She believes in the power of play to help young children learn, to communicate and to make sense of the world around them. She has seen firsthand how activity-based learning can create a love for learning and deepen a connection between adult and child. Susie's mission statement is that playing is learning, play is enough, and strives to make play accessible to all people. So let's welcome Susie Robbins. So welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Susie. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's, I'm honoured to be asked. And you also said just before we started that you're really good at saying no. So <laughs> I'm really glad that you didn't say no to this, that this is not a, a place where you ex- exercise your boundaries. And we're going to talk a lot about play. So I presume that we can also be a little bit playful in how we talk about that. And joy and playfulness is really important to me. So I'm very glad that we can talk about that more today because we've often talked about pause and purpose on this podcast. But today we're going to think a lot more about the third pillar of my signature system of the pause purpose play. And that's going to be so exciting. So tell the listeners a little bit more about the importance of play for you. You know, what's your experience of play and how did you come into working with playing for a living? Okay, so before I had my own children, I have three, um, three small children at the moment. Before I had them, I was working in a large mainstream secondary school in London and my job there was interventions manager which meant that my job I was tasked with reducing the number of exclusions that the school had that meant that my cohort of children were the children who were really disengaged from school life for one reason or another they were I was working with young carers um, 
children known to youth offending team, refugees, children in care, substance users, gang members. I was working with lots of different types of children, but the thing they all had in common is they just did not want to be in school. So when I met these children, I felt that largely they had been really misunderstood and that they almost written off actually, and that they, these children deserve to have focus and attention and resources pushed at them so that they could do everything that they could to get re-engaged, to reignite their love of learning. But I didn't know where to start with that. The system that was already in place wasn't really working, which is why I had this, this role was created. So I spent a lot of time getting to know these children. And we um, began using activity-based curricula. So that means we did away with sitting down at a desk and copying off the whiteboard and reading textbooks and things like that. But we taught them through activities. We allowed them to go out on, um, on trips and explore a little bit more, do lots of hands-on learning. And it really, really made a difference to them. And we, I found that when the children were engaged or in the process of re-engaging, either with myself as a, you know, a, a focal point in that school or with learning as a whole, their sense of self-worth really, really increased. You know, they felt better about themselves. They had a sense of pride about their work that they were achieving. And it was not a coincidence that they felt this after doing all these activities. We really became much more playful with them and it paid off. So when I went on maternity leave, I wasn't, I was expecting to return to work, but I knew then that I wanted to instill that same playfulness, that same love of learning with my own children. I began with my eldest when he was born to kind of support his natural development through lots of little activities and games and playfulness. And it was such a wonderful experience, both for him and for myself. And I, I developed a bit of a knack for it. Well, lots of my friends were asking about activities they could do. And it just kind of snowballed and went from there. And now I'm three children in and I have my business resolve to play, which is supporting families, all families, um, with ways to play and connect with their children. So that's it. really interesting how it's gone from seeing a problem that nobody was able to solve and really using your own, I guess, aspect of playfulness, which is innovation, mm -hmm. creativity, coming up with problem solving and addressing those children that were misunderstood and helping them feel like they were seen and heard and validated and finding ways to reach them, connect with them, I guess. And then for that to then come into purpose for you actually this is how mm. what I want to do you know what I want to do in my family life and what I want to do in my in my work life so it's really interesting to see how that's connected with your purpose as well and when we think about that because I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions around children and, and play and you know beforehand we chatted a bit about how much pressure there is also around parents that parents today in modern society put a lot of pressure on themselves to play and to kind of do this perfectly and spend hours and hours and and I guess when you talk about these activities, you know, the way that I've seen you show up on, on Instagram and, you know, on your website, it's not about that. It's not pressure to do more. You know, so I wonder if we can think about that first of understanding that pressure. Why do parents have that pressure to play in this sort of unsustainable way for themselves? I think that there are lots of different reasons, really. I think that we live in a world where we can 
see more of everybody's lives or see select snippets of every more people's lives you know before say when my parents were parenting young children they wouldn't have known what Claire from Play Hooray was doing with her children social me media really pushes this idea of perfection doesn't it and it is relentless we expose ourselves to social media relentlessly even if you have good boundaries on it if you dip into it if you open your app on your phone, your feeder will be flooded with these images of perfection all of the time. And that extends to playing with your children. And as a play account on Instagram, I am hyper aware of what people are looking at in terms of my activities and the message that that puts across. There are many beautiful accounts on Instagram where people, for their own kind of um, pleasure, they create lots of beautiful elaborate play setups for their children using beautiful handmade wooden toys for example which is good for them if that's what they like to do to unwind but if you're looking at it as someone who is a beginner or who doesn't see it as for the adult and then interprets it as something that they think they should be doing for their children too then it becomes a problem and it becomes a sense of overwhelm and a sense of failure too and I, yeah, I think that's this, it's uh, down to social media and it's um, portrayal of perfection in every aspect of life. So that sense of, you know, feeling like a failure is really easy to get hooked by when you see all of these perfect setups that someone has spent hours putting together or maybe having very expensive toys. Mm. Um, you know, some of the ranges of educational Montessori toys are beautiful, but they're also very expensive. And we think about, you know, who has access or means to, to have those things whereas what you're kind of advocating is much more about finding things we can play with in, yes. in everyday life and you know in the moment so we're going to talk a bit more about tips around that first but let's just strip it right back to thinking about why is it important for children to play well it is firstly let me kind of speak about um how important it is it's kind of the same question with a slightly different tilt if that's okay but it is so important for children to play that it's even in the United Nations Convention of the Rights of the Child. There are 45 articles in the Convention of the Rights of the Child. Often they are things like all children have the right to official documentation, the right to um, uh, freedom of expression, protection from violence, abuse and neglect. And within those really, really serious pillars of protection is also Article 31, which is the right to leisure, play and culture. So it is widely known with the theorists um, and the, the scientists, psychologists, that play is absolutely paramount to children and their mental health and their well-being. And I think it's because when children play, they make connections with their caregivers. They learn life skills like problem solving, teamwork. They get a sense of pride and ownership of what they're doing. And all of these things are actually they're really vital to any human's sense of well-being, aren't they? They they feature in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The sense of the love and belonging, esteem, self-actualization, it's all there. Um, and children are striving for this just like we are, but they do it through play. And that's not even mentioning the things about, um, you know, the educational element of it. Yes, we teach lots of things through play, and that's a great way to learn. But also it's about the whole child and their whole sense of self. And it is um, 
yeah, it's paramount. So it's paramount to the point of where we need to facilitate it happening and we need to protect it yes. for when it's not happening. So the absence of it is detrimental and the presence of it is fundamental. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I re- read recently um, an, a study that Play Scotland had done and it was about what happens to children who have uh, play deprivation. They found that children who are deprived of play in early childhood show signs of isolation, anxiety, depression, reduced self-control and poor resilience, which is just amazing. So we can see how dangerous it is Mm. when children don't get a chance to play. So I guess we're thinking about all the beautiful things that happen and how they learn to navigate the world through play, but also what happens when they don't get to play, that actually there's a, there's a real impact on their mental well-being. Yeah, massively. It's really, I, I find it really, um, really fascinating. And it's so nice to know as well that for adults who, you know, look at play as something frivolous and uh, not a priority, it's really nice to have the science there behind it that's backing it, saying that actually we do need to make this a priority. We do need to change our um, way of perhaps even structuring a day so that we incorporate enough play and enough downtime for our children. Hmm. What would that average day look like? I mean, if parents are listening now thinking, oh God, I'm juggling, you know, working and commuting and looking after, you know, three kids at the same time and the in-laws are driving me insane, you know, kind of the pictures we've been hearing as well after the, the past year of the pandemic, you know, how can we structure a day so that there is space for play and downtime and it doesn't become another overwhelming pressure to be perfect like we see on Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. And that's such an important question. I, my advice always to parents who are feeling overwhelmed already with their routines, their day, their lives is to take the jobs that you have to do already, like you have to feed your children, um, you have to wash them occasionally, you you know, you need to put them to bed. All of these jobs that are non-negotiable, make them playful moments. So don't worry so much about play contents, about what you're playing, but take what you have to do and change the atmosphere around it so that it is playful and fun and engaging and you are connecting with your child because really the most important thing is that you're connecting and your child feels loved and secure and that they belong with the family. So if you, for example, you have to feed your children, while you're cooking, can you give your child a pot or a bowl and put some dried pasta in and give them a spoon? This is like a toddler or you know a, a, an older baby. And let them pretend to be cooking too because for them that's playful. And you can chat about your food, you can talk to each other, you can encourage them, you can sing songs. If you can't face multitasking when you're cooking, understandably, because that time of the day for me is quite a stressful time, when everybody's tired and hungry and you're in a rush, you can always put some music on and just have a dance with your children. That could last one song, that could be three minutes. And you can just dedicate those three minutes to dancing and moving and just smiling and sharing it's called um having joint attention or something so sharing an activity as simple as dancing around in the kitchen together has great value and it's not to be dismissed it's really really valuable and your children will go to bed remembering that rather than oh we played a board board game for two hours for example you know Mm. it, it doesn't matter 
how long it lasts as long as you are focused and present. So it's that little and often, mm-hmm. like a little kind of, you're painting a picture of that, finding the joy in the everyday life and the little things. And, you know, to use an example of what can often help to get my preschooler to get dressed is that, you know, he does this thing now every single time he takes his pants off. <laughs> he sort of wiggles them down and sort of balances them on, on one foot and then flicks them over his head oh, great. as high as he can. <laughs> and then he says like, ladies and gentlemen, you know, let's get ready for the pants flick trick or something <laughs> like that. And we all laugh because it's quite funny, yeah. like seeing this tiny little person running around butt naked. <laughs> and it lasts for, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and then I have to hold up my hand to show how high it was at that point. And he, he has to sort of um, jump up and high five it. <laughs> and sometimes it gets, to, you know, once he landed on the, on the lamp, you know. <laughs> it's, um, so it's, it's one of those things that when you are so caught up in those moments of like must, 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 don't do, hurry up. It's actually, you know, finding those little things can also loosen yourself up a bit that you're realizing actually, yes, if I do have time for 30 seconds of a, of a pants flick. Yes. Uh, I can fit that in. Yeah. And often if you spend 30 seconds indulging in a pants flick game, <laughs> You can save yourself three minutes of arguing, saying, put your socks on, because the mood has lightened, like you say. You've shared an ex- a joyful, pleasurable experience with your child. Everyone feels better. So the, the next jobs that you have to do, and you know, the next everyday things that are non-negotiables, like getting dressed, they become easier and people are more willing to kind of, people are more fluid in their approach once they have had that initial boost and that connection. Mm. It makes a real difference. So it's almost easier to get past that barrier of your child not wanting to do things. I mean, most children are quite demand avoidant, aren't they? They don't want to do things they're asked to do. So does the play sort of layer them up with more of a willingness or an openness towards then also being asked to do a a thing that they may not want to do? Yes, I I would say definitely. I mean, it's no coincidence that in uh, nursery groups and play groups, they tend to have a tidy up song. Yeah. Because it's a bit more fun. It's not the teacher saying, tidy up, tidy up, tidy up, tidy up. It's a song. It's a, um, a signal that they need to do it. They can sing along. They can move with the music. And it's a finite period, isn't it? They know that when the song ends, that's that. But if we're at home and we're battling and battling and battling about, please, you know, pick up your Lego. It needs to go away. It becomes, well, it's boring for a start. And, you know, children are... Um, self-centered enough to not want to do boring things and I I quite admire that in them (laughs) um but also um it can become overwhelming as well I think you know if you have a little bit of playfulness and you're a little bit specific about what it is exactly you need to do but they can choose to do it in any way they want so for example let's say we'll stick with the tidying up thing my boys are often they're the two eldest share a room and it's a mess most all of the time I was like, oh, you need to go and tidy your room. That will achieve nothing. Me saying that achieves nothing apart from wailing and them digging their heels in. Nothing gets tidied. But if I go to them and say, right, I've got a task for you. I've got a challenge. And to the eldest one, can you pick up all of the blue things that are on your floor? And to the other one, can you pick up all of the red things and see who can do it the quickest? Make it a little bit of a game. They've They've both got something that they need to do and they do it. And it's just a bit more fun and the room is that bit tidier. You've got to pick your battles as well. <laughs> That's probably a whole other yeah. conversation. <laughs> it probably is. And I guess, uh, as, you know, as a mother of, of several children, you know how you have to pick your battles to not have, you know, to lo- not lose your sanity on a daily basis yeah. because it's tedious. It's not just boring for the child to be asked to do the task. It's boring for the adult to keep asking mm-hmm. about doing the task. So 
if there are some quick wins where you're trying this more playful approach, realizing it actually gets the job done better, that can be reinforcing for the adult as well to be like, well, actually, that worked quite well. Yeah. You know, I could, I could do that. But it's it's hard because it expends energy, though. You know, it can be really hard for adults True. to step into a playful mode. So, what's your kind of best tip for adults who really are reluctant to play, who who's sitting here? listening to this feeling a bit cringeworthy <laughs> you know, about the idea of, of playing. What do you think stops adults from playing? I think there are many different contributors to, think, uh, to people not wanting to play. Self-consciousness, it could be one. You know, you feel a bit silly if you're having to play. Some people play, find play boring, and I'm one of them. You know, role play is not for me. That's not something that I like to do. Also, people don't have the time or the energy, like you say. So my tips for um, people who, you know, this that resonates with would be to choose a time where, you know, the children are not tired, not hungry, so they're in the best possible mood they could be, and that you are also not tired and hungry, not as tired as perhaps at the end of the day. And to set a time limit, and if that means... Setting an alarm on your phone, just five minutes is plenty. Set the alarm on your phone, put the phone to the side so that you're not then looking at it. And have your, you know, you can say to your child, I don't want to play that. I don't want to play role play. That's totally acceptable. As long as, you know, you can suggest something that else that they want to do. I think find setting a, a time limit is really helpful because you're not then stuck into some game, especially imaginary play that can go on and on and on and on and on. And nobody really understands what's happening. And it seems a bit of a chore. If you have, you know, it's only five minutes. The child knows it's only going to be five minutes. We're going to play this game that I have agreed to. But then you follow your child's lead within that game. It can be quite freeing. But often it's just about making that step, setting your boundaries, and then and then kind of following the lead. So that's really helpful because it protects the child because we know play is so important for them. We've kind of outlined what happens if they don't get play, what happens if they do get play. So it means that the parent can act in line with their values of wanting to be connected with their child, but also protecting the parent's sanity because so many parents that I support who have kind of quite perfectionistic standards for themselves feel like they're a failure when they get bored in the play like what's wrong with me why don't I enjoy mm. playing this game mm. and what you're suggesting there is that having that flexibility to tune into what do you enjoy what do you take pleasure from playing with your child because that play is going to be so much more nourishing for both of you if you're actually having fun with it and knowing that setting that boundary like you said in the beginning you quite good at saying no so maybe role play isn't your thing and I often say to myself They've got nursery for that, for the bit yeah. that I don't like playing. Exactly. Um, I'm not the best with so super messy play. You know, I, I like crafts, but I'm not, uh, finger paint everywhere wouldn't be my favorite. <laughs> so I'm like, they've got, they've got nursery for that. They, they can get their fill mm -hmm. of that in other settings. Yes. And I think that's that we, we're not solely responsible for meeting their every single play need, that they have different contexts that they can play in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it should be encouraged for children to, turn to other people for different play needs so if you aren't willing to do messy play they can go to nursery for example for my children you know they have their friends they're at that age where they have proper friends now so they can play the imaginary games that I can't keep up with they can do that with their friends they can play physical games with their dad it's a stereotype but in my family it's true you know that we can do 
baking with my whatever it just it is a way of connecting with a variety of people and it is a way of learning to navigate and negotiate with different people and different people give you new skills so encourage them to turn to other people you don't have to be everything to your child all of the time and I think that's a really nice permission as well to kind of think that you know it's okay to say you know, baking is associated with going to granny's house. And then, you know, you may, they make a cake together. They have the pleasure of eating the cake together. And for some of us who don't enjoy baking at all and feel it's really messy and you end up kind of kind of arguments about how inevitably your child will miss the bowl when <laughs> everything goes on the floor, because that's part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's not your thing, yeah. then yes, you can at times, you know, see if you can gently challenge yourself. If you, if you want to be able to make a cake and you can get out of your comfort zone, but also knowing that what you're describing there is so helpful to actually, it's okay to just say, this is not my thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's not for me. They get that somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And you can still support your child in that interest. You could say, well, let's find a recipe for something that you want to bake with granny next time. And let's send her a picture so that she can go and get the ingredients and get ready for it. You know, you yeah. can still support that interest and that joy. You don't need to squash the excitement out of your child, but you don't have to do the thing that you don't want to do. So it's a gentle boundary. It's mm. not a firm, no, I don't want to do that. That's boring. It's more about actually let's do that there or facilitating mm-hmm. for that to happen somewhere else and enjoying that journey. And I think that we, we all have favourites, you know, there's certain things that we like and certain things we don't like. And, you know, I quite like the imaginary stuff, but, you know, the age of my son is that it gets quite intricate and can carry yes. on for a very long time. <laughs> and they often want to yes. repeat the same game over and over identically um mm. so that it does get boring so then yeah. thinking actually you know another four or five year old loves doing that so having a play date around means that they can get that feel and then they can tell you all about it what did you enjoy most from that game so i'm wondering sort of for those adults who are listening who find that this is really difficult maybe we can use some of that science to think about also why do adults need to play was it important for them not just important for the children Absolutely. It's so important for adults. And I think that the pandemic and lockdown and things like that has really highlighted people's need to play. I think we've lived in such an intense uh, situation for the past year and a half that people have been hyper aware of their mental health. And we are looking outwards to find ways to alleviate that sense of stress um, and anxiety and isolation and all of those things that have been coming up. And we've been looking outside to find inspiration of ways that we can play. I heard recently somebody use the term play DNA. And I love that idea that we all have a play DNA. We all have a history of a degree of playfulness from our childhood. And I've seen lots of adults now kind of looking back at the hobbies that they used to do when they were children, wondering where along the lines they fizzled them out. And trying to kind of reignite that passion. So I've seen lots of people doing roller skating, lots of people doing art, lots of people taking up instruments, lots of people sewing even, you know, lots of different activities. And quite often they're to do with the kind of the arts or exercise. And we know that we get feel-good hormones when we exercise. So it's, it's kind of like this ladder of feeling better, isn't it? So we do something that Maybe we feel a bit nostalgic about and it's a hobby from our childhood. We develop some skills in that. We are playful with it. We enjoy ourselves. We get feel-good hormones. And our um, overall mental health just increases. So that's really important that it's not just about the mental and physical well-being for children, navigating pressures of life, but also for adults. After the year we've all had, 
seeing that playing brings comfort, uh, you know, familiarity, like you're saying, the, the examples you gave, there are people taking up roller skating. I've definitely heard that for my clients in therapy, like having this urge to go back to things that gave comfort in childhood, like listening to 90s music or, you know, reading Enid Blyton's books or whatever, which, you know, there are obviously other discussions about contents of her book, but <laughs> coming back to something that you read when you were a child or took comfort from as a child. And a lot of parents tell me also that they really enjoy when their kids get to that age where they can play with things that they liked. Like, oh, now I can finally build Lego sets again without shame um, because my six-year-old is so into it. So I think that's where we kind of think of all that permission to play, that mm. giving ourselves the allowance to do things that give pleasure. So you kind of talked about comfort, familiarity, but also pleasure, mm. you know, what, what kind of pleasure do we take from play? I, I think that it is just um, investing time in ourselves as well um, and protecting our energy a little bit. If you invest energy in something that you want to do that you benefit directly back from, then that can make us feel a bit refreshed. And often, especially in the last year where we've had to do things kind of on our own or with our family, I think that having an excuse to have some me time, so I'm sorry, I can't do this for the family because I am roller skating or I can't do this because I am indulging in this other hobby. Having an excuse to have me time is really, lots of people find it really valuable because they can then invest back into themselves. And it gives a, an explanation, a, a reason why you take time out, where you step out and you can be fully present with that thing instead with the roller skating mm. or, you know, reading those old comic books in your childhood or whatever it might be that you want to play with. What do you think about the difference between sort of playing alone as an adult, doing your own things versus playing with your children? You know, is there similar amounts of pleasure or the different kinds of pleasure? What, what do you think about the discrepancies between the two? I think it depends on who you are and what you, where you get your joy from. Um, so for me, I find playing with my children very refreshing. Um, I find I feel I take a lot of joy from the connection I feel afterwards with my children. But for some people, that might just it might be another kind of drain on their resources. They might need to just go out and have the time and the space to themselves. So yeah, I think it just depends on your own your own personality. So what do you think that parents today do wrong then when it comes to playing with their kids? If they are very busy and they may not like the, the, the game that they're playing, you know, we've given some examples already, but what do you think that as a pattern of what you see parents doing today, what do you think they do quote unquote wrong when they play with their kids? Um, I think there are two things that spring to mind. I think that they put too much pressure on themselves to you know to do exactly what the child wants we've kind of talked about that a little, little bit already but also I think that parents have perhaps unrealistic expectations of their children in terms of attention span so young children can only focus on an activity for a very short period of time like quite often I hear people say to me oh I did your toddler activity but he only played with it for two minutes and I'm thinking, well, that's actually perfect. That's all you can really expect, you know, between for a two-year-old, between two and 10 minutes is what you should be expecting. So I think that, you know, lots of parents get frustrated if their child won't really focus on an activity that they have set up or spent time, you know, 
or money, even if they've, if they've bought something and they feel that their child is being ungrateful. And that can trigger an awful lot of people with that sense of, you know, I've put all this effort in and you're not, you're not interested. So I think that really we just need to strip it back. You know, it, play doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be uh, elaborate. It can just be two minutes, 10 minutes here or there. And just as long as you are present and focused on your child and the activity that you're doing together, that's all that matters. We don't need to throw lots of money at the situation. We don't need to buy special equipment. We don't need to spend hours organising a playroom so that it looks Pinterest-worthy. It can be really, really simple. And I think people dismiss that. They, th they think it can't be as simple as it, as it can be. So we overcomplicate things. And also as, you know, as adults, often the decisions that we make and the, the things that we come across are more complicated. There are often more obstacles in the way. But when it's coming to child's play, then it can be very, very simple. So it sounds like the more you invest, um, you know, your emotional energy in it and perhaps your money or effort, there's also a greater risk of resentment or feeling a bit put upon that you're not appreciating all are done. But if you whack something together in 30 seconds or you just, you know, play around with the, <laughs> the pants flick, I've invested yeah. nothing in it. So um, if he on one day would say, I don't want to do that today, I'm like, all right then. Okay, sure. It's, yeah. it's not, yeah, fine. And I'm not, I'm not attached to the idea of the pants flick, yeah. you know, to put it that way. Whereas we can get really attached to that idea that they must appreciate this because this mud kitchen cost me a hundred pounds. Yeah. Whereas you could have also just given them a wooden spoon from the kitchen and, you know, a bowl and like go out and dig a bit and see what happens and pour some water on it. So lovely mud kitchens are great, mm -hmm. but they're not necessary. if you don't have, not necessary, mm -hmm. you know. So I think I like the way that you give that permission to, have optional extras if if you're into that. But if you know yourself and you think, if I'm going to build them a mud kitchen or buy them a mud kitchen, I'm going to be really miffed if they're not appreciating it. Then maybe don't get the mud kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, get them something else. Absolutely, yeah. Have no expectations. <laughs> yes. The expectation often leads to disappointment, as I often say. So can we think about some super simple, easy, quick tips on play that we concretely can do with our kids then? Uh, that doesn't cost the earth, doesn't cost our our energy, um, and kind of is a good way to connect with our kids. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm a massive advocate for sensory play. That doesn't have to be messy play, just sensory play. So any kind of activity that stimulates one of your senses. So the easiest sensory play to do is bath time. Chuck your kids in the bath. Give them some cups and a ladle and some things to see if they sink or float you know that's cost you nothing you're using what you've got in the house it's not messy it's very very clean you just pull the plug out at the end you dry your kids off you've done a job in the meantime you know it's that kind of very very simple thing also sensory play is really great for people who have multiple children because there's no um like learning objective with sensory play any person of any age you know and you Granddad can get involved with sensory play if they want, if he wants to. So you could, if you have a vase of flowers and they're wilting, you can chop the flower, the heads off of the flowers and put them in a, just an empty Tupperware box with some water and freeze them. And then take them out on a, a sunny day or a rainy day even. And you've got something that's intriguing and 
ignites your child's curiosity. What is it? Why does it look like that? How can I get it out? You can freeze toys as well. It doesn't need to be flowers. Just really, yeah, I'm, I'm all for sensory play. You could even put slices of, I don't know, cucumber or an, an old tired orange that you would chuck out, but you can just slice it up and put it in your kid's bath or put it in the sink and they can pretend to wash up with or make potions in the sink whilst you're cooking dinner. Yeah, there's lots of tips there. I love that kind of, the, it's building an image of imagination mm. and curiosity there of seeing that picture of that child sort of sitting there with a block of ice trying to excavate yeah. that poor little um, toy that's in there. Yeah. And I think that's probably very, very exciting. And obviously if, if we are blessed with the kind of climate where you have freezing temperatures outside, yes. it's quite fun to do those things outside. I'm, I'm Nordic, I come from Sweden. So we would often do those kind of things mm, and sort of imagining what happens in the ice and then what happens when the snow or the ice melts again. But these are concrete things that, I mean, estimation of how long that would take you to fill up a tub, 30 seconds, and take it out a few hours later, and then your child can sit there and it's feeling the sensations of the ice. And you can discuss like, oh, actually it's melting. Why does ice melt? Why is now water in my hand? Depend If they're a bit older, you can kind of go in for that curiosity of the why, why, why that comes from mm. older kids. And then you've got knowledge as well as feeling sensory things. So lots of good tips though, Susie. I really appreciate those. Oh, thank you. One of the things that I tried over the last summer and, you know, in the pandemic where there was so much pressure to play as a way to stimulate our kids. It's always like, must provide them with stimulation. Um, there was, it was really hard for the parents I support and, and myself included to not get drawn into must now replace nursery or preschool or school because they all closed. So one thing I tried because I don't like messy play very much is I let him paint the bath. You know, we took out the paints and he got to do the, all the finger paints inside the bath. Love it. Because it was so, so easy to just wash it mm -hmm. off. So it was no distress for me. He had a whale of a time and we probably took some fantastic photos that I would no doubt bring out on his wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> him covered in paint. Oh. He got to paint me, he got to paint himself and he got to paint the bath. And then all mess gone within minutes. So have you got any tips on what, you know, parents who lived through the pandemic, where the childcare settings were closed and they had that pressure to like must provide stimulation? Have you got any sort of words of wisdom around that? Yes, I think that um, parents should do their best now to let go of that pressure to know that they are not teachers, they are not childcare providers, they're not educators, they are their parents. And quite often they are working parents or they are parents who care for somebody else. And we just need to give ourselves the permission to say, I don't need to be, I don't need to fill all of these roles. I am one person and I have enough roles already. <laughs> This is something I say to my uh, my children quite a lot. I've got enough jobs. So you can pick your own socks up. <laughs> I love, I love so that. I'm already very busy. And just, yeah, give yourself permission to let go of that pressure because the only person who is expecting you to do that is yourself. Yeah, your child is not expecting that. No, your child isn't expecting that. Your child is expecting you to be mummy or daddy or auntie or uncle or whoever. The only people who are, you know, who... who are judging you on this as yourself so if you can you know turn the volume down on that and you know allow yourself to just fulfill the roles that you already have and do it as well as you can under very extraordinary circumstances then that is absolutely good enough I've talked quite a lot about how you don't need to play all day long you don't need to set up anything elaborate you can just build playfulness into your day and 
that is more than enough for your child to benefit, really, um, really benefit from those moments of connection. I really love that because it's it's that sense of moving away from the content play. Like you say, it's not about going on one more Pinterest board or one more Facebook group to get ideas on what you must do to play, but actually finding play in a way that serves you and your family in whatever interests you have. And that's where connection comes, mm. that when you are doing it without being burnt out by the pressure of must not take out all of the Play-Doh, <laughs> if you're that way inclined that mixing the Play-Doh colors drives you bonkers, Ooh. which I hear from plenty of parents. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel that myself as well. Like, no, yeah. why are you mixing all the colors? <laughs> and then I have to sort of like allow myself to let him mix all the colors and tolerate that. But you know what? That's nowhere near as rewarding as a game where I lose myself in mm. it and suddenly an hour has passed and I didn't even notice because we were just having fun. Yeah. And those are the things I guess will build childhood memories. If we look back at our own childhoods, what are the things that we think are sort of in, in that kind of light of joy? You know, what things were filled with pleasure and joy and fun? And, and it's, it's rarely the ones that have been the most complicated where your parents, you know, annoyed and shouting <laughs> at you because you're stressed about building this big piece of play equipment together and everyone's stressed out so it's actually like small simple tips and for those people who want to have more tips like that that don't put pressure on you to content play all day you know what's the uh, what's the best way to learn more about that you know how do they engage with you um i have an instagram account uh which is where i provide lots of free content for different ways to play and tips and techniques and things like that so my instagram handle is resolve to play but also i have a website where i sell play packs of um, ideas which are kind of categorized into different types of child so baby play or toddler play school starters things like that where we develop learning and skills um, through play so a very a very pressure-free approach to development but those are my main my main ways to find me Brilliant. So anyone who wants to follow you or have a look at your website can just search for Resolve to Play. And I guess that's where we're also trying to think about connecting back to your purpose there, where you resolved to yourself that you were going to help those disrupting children, the ones that had behavioural issues or whatever might be going on, who were disengaged from school. You'd have resolved to play and met them where they were at through those play-based activities and then resolved to play with your children and then resolved to play in your work life. So it's a really nice flow to the purpose that's coming through your your you know your story of how you've connected with play so the final thing i want to ask because we've asked a lot about play obviously <laughs> we've asked we've talked a little bit about how you found your purpose with that and why that's important to you but what about pause and you know, what do you do to pause and rest and recover when you clearly got a big instagram platform you know you've achieved a lot in your life so what do you do to pause i have a complicated relationship with pausing <laughs> i I like to sleep. I don't get much sleep. I like my own company. I don't get much of my own company. Historically, as a breastfeeding mother, it's quite difficult. It has been quite difficult for me to um, leave my children for periods of time, which would mean that they would go without milk if needed. But I think this year, this pandemic period has really taught me that I need to take the time to pause as well to benefit my children and so quite often it's just I'll go up to my room and just lie down or just read a book and just have some quiet time 
without the incessant questions or whatever it is that is getting me down in that moment to kind of reset and then bounce back. So protecting that time and knowing that actually the very thing that's hard for you to get and hard to allow yourself to get is sometimes the thing that we need the most. And that's often where we struggle, where we have resistance around taking rest or maybe not having lots of opportunities. Mm. If we have young children in the house, how often is it actually quiet? Yes. <laughs> you know, I've tried to read a book to my child. It's called, I was given by my friend called Five Minutes Peace. <laughs> uh, for him to understand how I feel with these little elephants yeah. that follow mummy elephant into the bathtub. Uh, he didn't quite get it. <laughs> I think he's, he might be more ready now. And now he would say things like, no, I need to chill out for a bit or no, I'm tired. I don't want to talk right now. I want to just chill. I want to just sit quietly because these are things that have come out of my mouth, obviously at times when I need to rest and restore. And I'm so glad that, you know, sending those messages and protecting our own energy our children will pick up on that and they will also learn to protect their downtime. Mm. That, you know, they have such a an on button that it's hard to see that there is also an off button that they can, you know, learn to incorporate our ways of decompressing and protecting our energy if we show them. And that's really difficult. And obviously, like, like you said before, it resonates through the episode that a lot of children also get downtime through their play. Yes. So they're kind of, but that might be that they're, not stimulated and entertained by us in play, but they're just allowed to just sort of potter. Mm. That's what often my son does kind of plays to himself, which is kind of arranging his animals or whatever, something that he might just potter about with for a bit or flick through his books. Whereas if I then sit down like, oh, let's read a book together, that's much more stimulating. Yes. So I think we all have to balance all the pressure to stimulate our kids with also the allowing the permission to say you know what they also need downtime as much as we do and is serving all of us in the family really well yeah. when we find a moment to pause yeah absolutely and allowing them independent playtime is um, really really important for them as well like you say it's um it, it, as well as it being their kind of pause and rest time it's a learned skill and it's something that they will need to be able to do as they get older so if you need an excuse <laughs> to not get involved in your child's play, then there you go. <laughs> so that is, I mean, independent play, I think it's like the holy grail. Yes. Of parenthood. <laughs> like every, every parent wishes for this like moment of peace to yourself. Like, look, they're doing it. Yeah. They're doing it by themselves. Yeah. As a final sort of thought before we wrap things up, have you got any suggestions of how people can encourage or facilitate for independent play? rather than having unrealistic expectations of how long the kid is supposed to do that yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. I have a blog post about this, actually. Oh, love it. <laughs> independent play is just when your child is playing independently without your support. It is a learned skill, but some children are just naturally better at it than others. So as a parent, you need to manage your expectations that your child will still need support in learning how to do it. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, you can expect for them to play once they've got the hang of it, without your support for between one and five minutes for every year of their age. So don't expect your child to independent play for two hours while you have a meeting or while you're, you know, <laughs> writing a report. It's just that's unrealistic and it'll make everybody miserable. So <laughs> just manage your expectations on that. But things that you can do, and it sounds really, really counterintuitive, but if you sit down and play with your child, and model how to play because often some children just don't know how to go about playing on their own so you can show how you would play with let's say we've got some animal figures and you could show you could model curiosity you could ask questions about the animals you could 
model kind of imagination and then you have this joint focus of you two playing with these animal figures and then very slowly reduce your input into the conversation until you get to the point where you're just listening to your child narrate what they're doing and then you know gradually this won't happen in one play setting in one play session you will need to kind of build this up over time but once you've sat down and played together for a while then you've stopped giving input but you're still physically present and you can sit and reassure your child if they look for you you can give them a nod and a smile um so, you know i'm still here i'm still looking after you and just encourage them to carry on it is a process but eventually they will toddle off into a different room maybe and uh, get their toys out and bring them out and sit down and play without you but if that happens don't interrupt it <laughs> Don't shoot yourself in the foot and comment saying, oh, you're playing really beautifully with those because then you break the magic spell and it's really hard when you're in the flow of play. It's very hard when you're, you're interrupted and it's disrupted and it's very jarring. Or if you see your child is at the beginning of the independent play journey, you see them playing, but actually it's time for dinner. Maybe just, you know, sit back for two or three minutes and let them come to the end of their play before dinner. You know, again, choosing your battles about what's most important. If you want your child to be able to play independently, then you need to play, go for the, the, long, the long game. Yeah, so it's obviously thinking about what reinforces that tendency, the willingness, the, the wish to play independently if they constantly get interrupted when they finally yes. sit down to do it then that's going to feel punitive, isn't yes. it? So, you know, having some flexibility there or, you know, could we wait 10 minutes for dinner? Could could we see what happens if if they come over to us when they're ready? Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, often people have unrealistic expectations or they might also then have worries, like, oh, then well, food will get cold and we'll sit here for two hours. Rarely does a child sit there and play independently <laughs> for two hours without noticing that you're eating. Yes. So... <laughs> It's those things don't tend to materialize if we then think of actually, well, what, what am I worried about then? What do I think is going to happen if I don't, you know, follow this sort of need to sit up, sit up at the table now? It's that sense of how a lot of us have been raised in more of an authoritarian way of being, uh, you know, told what to do and must come straight away and sit up now. And if we allow them flexibility, I think there's a lot of parents who are afraid and worried that they're losing kind of authority over their children but actually watching and waiting and allowing that flexibility for a few minutes would harm that they're not going to think oh I'm not taking my parents um seriously seriously now so really good summary of how we can facilitate for independent play by having that invitation to play doing it together and then slowly gradually pulling mm. away and hoping for the best yeah. um and I think there's also that sense of once they do play so independently that they don't need you anymore, that's a lot of people who then report a sense of loss yes. and yearning. <laughs> yes. So, oh no, they've just gone up to the room and closed the door and I can't, I can't come in. They don't want to play with me anymore. Mm. So It's complicated. It's, oh, it's, it's really complicated, isn't it? It's that sense of, uh, you know, seasons of different things. And it's so intense when it's happening, when they need you all the time. But then it's such a sense of loss when they now don't. Mm. So it's been a beautiful conversation and uh, I'm sure the listeners have learned loads and they know where to check out your more readings. So the blog post you mentioned, is that on your website? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's uh, under the blog section. Fantastic. People can go and have a look at that as well. And you've already given people a bit of a permission, um, but I wonder if there's any final takeaway you have for the listeners, any pressure you want to take off them 
or any permission you want to give them, what would that be? Just the overall message that the most important thing is the playful moment rather than the play content. Don't get hung up on what it is your child is playing with or um, don't get hung up on not doing enough educational play. It's okay to not turn every piece of homework into a game. That's okay. But use playfulness to connect with your family. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Susie, for giving us this time. It's been a joy, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to seeing what else you got on your Instagram account in the near future. So thank you so much for being a lovely guest. Wonderful. Thank you, Michaela. I've loved it. I hope you enjoyed this episode, learning about the importance of play and how we need to give ourselves the permission to play and the permission to set boundaries in our play. That listening to Susie talk about what is important here is not about the expensive, elaborate, exhausting types of play but the connected easy wins that serve you and your family and that is the stuff that your children would thank you for that is the stuff of memories of good happy childhoods so don't get too bogged down in what you see on instagram head to accounts like susie's resolve to play to get realistic easy things you can do with your child if you know that you put pressure on yourself to be perfect and maybe get caught up in these stories of failure not good enough or that you've not done enough for your child that is not going to serve either of you if you need a bit of help to try to take that pressure off and accept and tolerate imperfection and lower your expectations on yourself as well as your child you do know that you can head over to my pause purpose play facebook group which is a completely free community that you can join if you want to meet like-minded people on a similar journey so head over to facebook and find pause purpose play And until I see you next time, do take care of yourself and your child. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically, showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.